I love uh, Scripture. Uh, I, I love reading Scripture. I love thinking about Scripture. And it's kind of handy that I, I work a job that lets me uh, do something I enjoy quite often. Uh, sidebar, if you can figure out how ministry and eating barbecue relates, please tell me after worship. <laughs> but I love how Scripture can move and grow when we read it, especially when we read things over and over. It just it, Scripture always has a way of coming back to us in the way that we need it. Uh, a few months ago, earlier before we were doing this series uh, on John, might have been the thing that, that kind of made me want to do this. I was just reading John a lot this past summer, and I remember getting to John chapter 9 and just sitting with it for several days and, and just kind of like I had notes just stacked on top of notes in one of those little journaling Bibles, you know, with the extra pages that are in there. Um, I, I loved it, uh, but I forgot about it. And earlier this week, I start my normal rhythm, and I'll tell you all a little bit of how the sausage is made on Mondays. One of the things I do is I, I open up my, my notes on my, on my iPad, and I copy-paste the, uh, the passage for the week in there, and I start reading it and ask myself questions and thinking about things and just kind of starting off. And, and I wrote a note on the uh, page that said, Healed and Whole. As I was thinking about what's the big picture of this passage, healed and whole. And then as I normally do, then I kind of, at the end of that, I'll, I'll go to other Bibles. I was like, well, you know, if I have one of those little journaling Bibles I've spent time in, I'll go pull that out or other things to see, you know, what might have I have thought recently about the passage as well as I kind of try to start collectively gathering things. And what was so interesting was there was a post-it note at John chapter 9 from that little journaling Bible from this summer. And a little post-it note, it said healed and whole. So I think that we need to talk about what it means to be healed and whole today. In John 9, this is the second to last of Jesus' signs in the Gospel of John. Uh, so John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, uh, listen to the words of Scripture. And as he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. And when he said this, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as, as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, it's someone like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So question with this. This is a, this is a little different of a passage. It's a little tough. There's some stuff in there that you know, it really makes you think. And even as I'm reading it this morning to y'all, I'm seeing, well, man, you could talk about that or you could talk about that or I've got a question about that or, or what about this? But the big question that I have is, is this, how much of this story is about the actual healing? 
If you're asking that question, I think you have a really solid question. Jesus is doing something here around the healing that is giving us a hint to something much deeper. Now get out your Bible real quick. I want to show you something that might help us realize there is a bigger conversation going on. In in verse 2, we read this. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that was born blind? In verse 7, we read this. Jesus says to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. You know, writers of Scripture, one of the things they like to do is they like to bring up a scenario and they like to kind of package it together with the front end and the back end. We read early on in this passage that this man is, this man is blind. Then verses later, we read that he was healed from his blindness. But what Scripture writers like to do is they like to bracket these things because what's going on in the middle is actually what we need to be thinking about. In a lot of ways, it's the action that lets us realize there's something deeper going on. Uh, In this scenario, we have a story about healing that focuses in on on sin and our understanding about it. I, I don't think we talk about sin nearly enough. It might be a reaction to those of us who grew up uh, under a fire and brimstone preacher where it seems like all we did was talk about sin, so we stopped talking about sin. And then we realized we, we, realized we, we, we lost how that conversation might have been important. And I really do think that we have an inadequate understanding of sin, of what it is and how it affects us. But that isn't a new thing. We see that going on in this scripture passage today. In the story we read about the disciples having an inadequate vision of sin as well. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to think about this. You know, both how the disciples' idea of sin 2,000 years ago wasn't adequate or wasn't big enough, and how our idea of sin now in our world uh, is not big enough either. I think that we have to understand this before we can get our heads around what it means to be healed and whole. And this is why. Because the loss of a conversation about sin is actually a loss in a conversation about healing. If we want to know what healing means personally, we need to understand what sin means personally. To the disciples... They were functioning in this broken understanding of sin that was actually too corporate. It was too much about other people. They believed that you should not sin because not of yourself or what it could do to you, but because of how your sin could affect the community, affect those around you. um, you Your sin is bad, but it's worse for other people. And there's a biblical beginning point to what they are saying here. This deep in the Old Testament was the idea that a father's sin uh, could stretch uh, into multiple generations. But that, that isn't here. That Old Testament passage is making us realize that our decisions, our way we move through life, it influences our children and those around us. What it turned into, and this idea was this idea that, that God was almost vindictive. The disciples there are playing the blame game and say, hey, Jesus, this guy is bad. He he can't see. Something wrong has happened to him. Is it because he did something wrong or his parents did something wrong? In in their world and their broken vision of sin, that sin is in a direct relationship to suffering. But let me ask you this. Is that who God is? We've talked about this before. Sometimes when we're confronted 
with the difficult reality, we need to ask ourselves questions. You know, who is the character of God revealed himself to be to me? Who is the character of God revealed himself to be in Scripture? Friends, do we know, does, does Scripture tell us that God can be vindictive or cruel? The issue that the disciples are coming, having to come to terms with is that our human condition sometimes gives us an inability to be in a proper and right relationship with God. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need grace. It's Jesus and grace that changes these things. Now, let's fast forward a couple thousand years. In our world now, 2023, sin is very subjective, right? We live in a, a world that is morally ambiguous and also morally autonomous. What that means is for so many people, they feel like if it makes me feel good, then it can't be sin. But if someone else does something that's hurtful to me or stops me from having the ability to feel good, then that person is sinning. I don't sin. I just do. If, if it feels good, it is right. And if someone else does something to stop that from happening for me, then they are bad. Then they are evil. Then they are sinful. Us and our culture now, our understanding of sin is extremely individualistic. Almost as far out as the disciples' understanding of sin was really, really corporate and communal. We want to individually search for meaning, but we get to define meaning. We get to define what is good. God does not tell us that. We get to say that. Friends, both of these understandings of sin aren't big enough. They're not adequate. What the disciples saw was broken, and what we experience and see in our world is broken. When we don't have a conversation about sin, we can't have a conversation about healing because we don't allow sin to, to be a big enough thing. And remember, a loss in a conversation about sin is a loss in a conversation about healing. In both these situations, what the disciples experience in this story, or what this man is experiencing, and what we experience in our own life in all those situations, sin is what hurts. Sin is real. Sin is broken identity. Sin is a complete lack of the fullness of our life. In our world now, sin is a break in the moral order of what makes our life peaceful. But here's the thing. What if, even as hard as we try, we can't make things peaceful? Have you ever been in a situation or a moment where you feel like you are doing every single thing right and peace is not still with you? We have to have a bigger conversation about that. We need that bigger understanding because a whole and healed self happens when we encounter Jesus. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he, he actually gives us a great counter-narrative to this broken understanding of sin, regardless of when we live. Sin is both individual and corporate. Our sin is part of original sin, this brokenness of our world. But our sin is also personal. It's a, an actual sin as we sometimes act against God, both knowingly and unknowingly. 
It's grace that sanctifies us. Grace and that sanctification, it makes us resilient towards known willful sin. Our world is as broken as we are. Sometimes the tough thing in this conversation is we have to realize that bad things happen not because God wills it, but bad things happen because our world is broken. And we don't want to get there because for us to fully admit our world is broken, that means that we have to admit that we are broken. It's easy to call the world sinful, right? How many times have you seen or felt that in the last few months? It's difficult to call ourselves sinful, though. And we have to learn to do both. But what Jesus does is Jesus realigns our internal soul and makes us able to withstand those outward forces of sin that will exist until Jesus comes back. Sin, it shows where we have breaks with God and where we have needs that will necessitate healing. In this story, the first time I think I read it seriously years ago, I struggled with this idea of like, well, what about this man who was healed? Because if you notice this, the disciples, the, the man did not come to Jesus asking for healing, did he? You know, we've got stories and these signs of Jesus where the people come. Remember, the, the, the Roman official like, walks uphill 15 miles to go find Jesus saying, I need your help. Other times, Jesus notices somebody and comes to them. But he realized neither of those things happened here. The disciples literally brought the man up as they were trying to theologically split hairs about who's at fault. It almost seems as though this man is this like, um, he didn't ask to be put into this situation. But what I love how this illustrates, and some commentators talk about this, is that Jesus did not seek him out. The man did not seek Jesus out. But he was brought into the situation. And this is the big thing, that grace works in the places where grace is placed. When you bring Jesus into a situation, healing will then be an option. This man comes close to Jesus, and then healing is offered to him. Life and light is better than darkness and despair. He'd been living in darkness. He had an issue. He said he was begging. He didn't have a way to take care of himself. If we read all of, and friends, we could take, we could be here for seven hours and talk about chapter nine. Later on in the story, you see his parents come into the story, and even they're like, well, I, this is our son. Yeah, he was blind, but we didn't do it. They're scared of the religious leaders. Now, this man's blindness had made him an outcast from his family. His parents were in close enough geographic proximity for people to go ask questions about him, yet he was having to beg on the streets. His blindness had made him an outcast. The world was dark for him, and he's begging for his daily needs. He lived in darkness and despair. You bring Jesus into the situation, 
light and life comes in. Because remember, we're working now with an understanding about sin, that sin is not, or bad things are not about God's displeasure or God's frustration at us. Sin also is not about things that hold us back from some momentary feeling of good. You know, we were talking earlier uh, this morning, drinking coffee. Uh, sometimes, have you ever noticed the subject, Mike, always comes back to what did we eat over the last few days? <laughs> Y'all, I ate a lot of boudin last night. I had a lot of heartburn this morning. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we chase things that might momentarily seem good, but there's, a, there's an after effect to it, right? So sin is a break in our relationship with God. That means freedom and forgiveness then will look like wholeness and healing. John chapter 1, verse 4, we talked about this last week with Jesus walking on water. But it says this, In Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. When you put Jesus in the situation, there's always the option of healing because Jesus' light will expose the darkness and will bring life to things. Remember those brackets I talked about earlier from verse 2 and verse 7? We hold on to that idea a little bit. Jesus is connecting how the disciples' vision of sin is actually able to provide healing. It comes back to this idea of, of, of the works. We read in here in verse, uh, verse 3 and verse 4, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who has sent me while it is day. Night is coming when we can no longer work. Friends, I'm not going to ask you to deface your Bible, but if you have a pencil, you might want to put a line through work and put in the word power. Because that's what these works mean. It means power. It's not about a nine to five. It's not about a job. It's about the power. It's about the ability to do things. It's about what God is capable of. And what Jesus is saying here is the character of God. It isn't about what God chooses to not let us do or experience, but instead the power of God, it rewrites the narrative of brokenness and how it affects us. Sometimes physical issues happen. They're a result of the fall. What's interesting is you go back to all the signs we've talked about these last few weeks. You go back to the miracles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. One of the things that we see is Jesus' physical presence showing up heals physical issues. Jesus simply being there changes things because in the kingdom of God, the only uh, action that can happen is goodness. You know, Wesley had this idea, but he called it the, the sin, the general sin, and that general sin affects all of humanity. As Christians, the way that we have to understand and live in a world that's broken matters. Also, sometimes we are affected by sin because somebody else has done something to us. Another person has failed to accept, to experience and then to find power in that renewing grace of God. They're living in a, a spiral of brokenness. And their sin affects us. That's, that happens to us sometimes too, friends. And friends, that's never pleasant, is it? But also, we can do things too. We are capable of sin. 
we are still sometimes constricted by our own personal rebellion against God. We can still sometimes say, I know what's best for me. And if what's best for me might not be best for you, it's still best for me, so then I'm going to go do it. Things that way are easy. And they might briefly make life good. But they still cause brokenness in our life. They still let us walk around leaving open wounds in our lives. What the power of God does. Jesus is showing, hey, when, the, when, when we are here, we are doing the power of God while we have the time to do the power of God. It brings in light and life. It makes us think about the long game. Rather than us just seeking out quick moments of brief happiness, what the light of Christ does, it exposes our own need for healing, our own need for wholeness. Jesus' light gives us true clarity over our life. But what I love about this story is this, and I wish, I wish we had time to explore this more. But what I love about this story is in verse 10, about how we find a new identity because of our healing and holes. Verse 10, but they kept asking him, then how are your eyes opened? And he answered them, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. What I love here is these people, they're confused. The neighbors don't even recognize him. Some of them were saying, yeah, this is the guy that was blind. He used to ask for money all the time. Other people are saying, no, it can't be him because he can see he might look like him a little bit, might have the same tunic on. But no, the guy can see he's not the same. In this man's healing, this is what's wild here, y'all. And I said, we could go on and on and on and on about chapter 9. If you're read, read chapter 9 this afternoon. People could not recognize him because of his healing. Because the light was brought to his eyes. They were opened. He could see. It changed him enough to create arguments about was it really him. Friends, I know that each one of us, me included, that we carry things that have happened to us in our life, right? We carry things that might have been done to us. We carry things that you know we, we, we had no control over whatsoever at all. We might have some family problems. that we, we all carry things with us. But when we invite the healing and the wholeness of Christ in our lives, specifically, specifically in those things, it changes us so much to where people struck. It, it, it gives us a new identity. It gives us a way to walk through life and say, I, I'm not bothered by those things anymore. They're not stop, stopping me anymore. I've been healed and I've been made whole and I've, that's happened to me in such a way that I'm now going to watch out for the ways where I can trip myself up over my own two feet. John Wesley uh, talked about sin in the eyes of a Christian. This is what he called it. He said, a sin in the life of a Christian is a willful transgression of a known law of God. You know, Wesley didn't talk so much about unintentional sin. You know, the sins of forgetfulness, I call them. Or you forget to do something. Or you forget to call that person back. 
Wesley also didn't talk that much about original sin, the idea of the sin of humanity. That, that didn't bother him that much either. What Wesley loved to talk about was about when Christians make a decision to sin, that willful transgression of knowing law of God. Friends, when we do that, we dig our own holes to fall in. But think about the power that's given to us to heal those nagging wounds to cover them in the refuge and the strength and the power of God while they are healing. And then for us to, to, to walk and to move as though they no longer bother us, living in a full, the new identity of Jesus Christ. And we think back to the story of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus had rose from the grave how he's talking with Mary and the women who came to the grave to, 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 to finish taking care of the body, and they didn't even recognize him in that initial moment. We see this worked out in the life of Christ himself. When we're restored by God, we become a new creation. So friends, this morning, let us live into that new creation that's promised us. Live into that, that new healing that Jesus offers us. That life where we can say, uh, we, don't have our own, we have our own version of saying, well, he, he did this to me, and He told me to do this, and now I can see. Let us live as this man who's been healed by Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your healing. God, we thank you for your patience, Lord. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your ability uh, to, to save us, but God, to restore us to. God, that no matter what, no matter what, what, what hand a life has dealt us, no matter what other people have done to us, and especially no matter what we have done to ourselves, that you are big enough that you can heal us. God, that you can then restore us back into a relationship with you where we now have access to the power of God. God, where we can then be agents of healing among the people that we are with. So, Lord, this moment, this morning, Lord, let us be filled with the power of God to both personally heal, but also to be bringing the presence of Christ into all the places we go this next week so Christ can bring His healing to those places. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is Blessed Assurance. Uh, hymn number 369. Let us